0: Well, today we're gonna be talking about one of the pillars of this church, which is worship. Now, in Revelation, after Jesus has risen from the dead, it says in verse six that he made us kings and priests to God his Father. Jesus has made you to be a king. He is the king of kings. He's made us to be kings and priests. Now, really, a priest has two basic functions. One of the functions of a priest is to go on behalf of people to God. But the other function of a priest is to worship. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today is worship. And as a priest, this is one of the things that God expects and has called us to do. Uh, The thing about worship is this, that worship is not about you. It is not about you. We are not worshiping you, right? And uh, in the United States, we, we have this culture of consumerism, right? And, and really, it's kind of even drifted over into the area of worship. Now, if we go back in history during early years of, of the Christian church, we, we find that well, we, we actually call some of these, these times the Dark Ages, right? And uh, the only Bibles that could be found— We're in Latin. Uh, It was in the 1630s that William Tyndale translated the Bible from the original into English. And it was really the first English translation. And uh, he was burned at the stake for doing it, taking it and putting it in the language of the everyday person. And interestingly, by the way, uh, 75% of your King James Bible How many of you have a King James or a New King James? About 75% of that is actually just taken from the Tyndale translation, right? Well, in the 4th century, the Council of Laodicea, they decided that only appointed singers could sing in church, and they could only sing prescribed chants. I kind of think Gregorian chant. Only clergy were permitted to sing and in Latin, that's not going to help us much, right? So Christians with musical gifts, there really, there was no place for them in the church. Well, of course, in the book of Ephesians, it says speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart unto the Lord, right? And it's really heartbreaking the way that worship and music together were restricted, right? So, how many of you realize your Bible is just full of it? The Psalms is just full of, of worship that is connected to, to, to music. So, along comes the Reformation in uh, the early 16th century, and we've got Martin Luther, we've got John Calvin, and what they did was they began to write songs. Now, here's what they would do. They would take a popular secular song, and they would take the tune— and they would put Christian words to that tune, Now, those are the ones that we call holy, by the way. Those are the old ones, the hymns, we call them holy. But they actually, they began as secular songs. But now, listen, here's what they did, that they put doctrine into the song, because the majority of people were illiterate. They couldn't read a Bible. And so what they had to do is they had to get doctrine to people. And so songs were doctrine, right? And you look at most of your good old hymns and they are doctrine, right? Now, Jeannie and I, uh, we lived in in Mexico for several years. In two of those years, we lived in an Indian village with the Otomi Indians. And probably a full 50% of the people were illiterate. And what what, what just surprised us was how the songs were where they got their doctrine. In fact, there was this one song, I I hated the songs, okay. There was this one song that said, I'm a worm, I'm a worm, I'm a maggot in the dust. I mean, that's really a faith-building song, all right. But we would hear people say, but the song says, the song says, the song says, Right? And it's interesting, God told Moses, he said, I want you to teach the children of Israel this song so that they remember. How many of you remember songs? I mean, this week, I heard a tune that I had not heard in 30 years. Right? And I just heard the music, and the words all came back. Right? You know, m- music, you, you just remember better. Right? And so it's not that what they did was wrong, putting doctrine into songs. It's a good thing. Right? It's not a bad thing, and we still do it today, right? However, if you look at most of the Psalms, that's not what it's about, right? They're 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 simply worship and adoration of God. And then we have a lot of songs that kind of encourage each other. They're about me, you know, I I me me my, okay. Uh, a lot of our songs are like that, all right. But then really, there's there's others that are talking to God about God's magnificence, right? It says in, in, for example, in Acts chapter 13 and verse two, it says, as they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered to the Lord, and, right? Now, a lot of our worship is more ministry to us, right? It's encouraging us, we, we call it worship, it's really probably not worship, right? It's encouraging us, it's doctrine, but what worship is supposed to be, it's supposed to be ministry to the Lord, Worship is about God, it's not about you, it's not about me. Worship is to be about God and it's to be for God. With that said, your preferences, my preferences, our taste, our comfort, our opinions, and what we like should not really matter. Because it's not about what you like, it's not about what I like, it's about what God's like right and when we make it more about ourselves we literally it's kind of like we become idolaters kind of like the devil that's not a very good knowledge but listen to this this is what the devil said he said i will ascend into heaven i will exalt my throne above the stars of god i will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north and i will ascend into the heights and i will be like the most high right when we make it about ourselves it's not really worship right because it's not about us. It's for God. It's for his pleasure. It's what his heart enjoys. It's his taste, his desires, not our entertainment, but God's. When we pray, uh, it tends to be about our needs and our desires. When we pray, praise God, it's because we're praising and we're thanking because of our blessings. But when we worship, we're to be preoccupied with God and what He desires, not what we desire. And it's interesting that today worship has become a music style. There's the, the, the genre of, of worship. We package it, we produce it, we market it, like and a, we, we consume it you know, as a human audience. But worship should not be about us. It's not to be packaged and produced and marketed and consumed, right? In fact, so often we look at it and we like, well, I didn't like that song, you know. Uh, that didn't please me. That was displeasing. That wasn't, I just didn't think that was appropriate. You know, it's not what you think is appropriate or what I think is appropriate. It's what God thinks is appropriate. That's what worship is to be, right? We tend to look at it and decide whether we're engaged. I hope they get the next song soon. Maybe I like that one. You know, it's not about that. It's not about our preferences and our moods, all right? If if worship is music, it can be marketed. But worship is not music. Worship, someone said, is loving God. Biblically, worship is surrender to God, all right? And by the way, God loves all music styles, even the ones I don't. Even the ones you don't. God likes them all. Now, I think this is, really, this is really cool. Now, God says that in the last days, what he's going to do, this is Acts 15, he said he will return and he will rebuild the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. And he will build its ruins and will set it up. Now, think about this. You've got Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness. Then you have Solomon who built the tabernacle. David wanted to, but God said no, right? God said, no, you you shed too much blood. Your son's going to build me the tabernacle. Then you have Zerubbabel's tabernacle. And then you have Herod's tabernacle. In every one of them, there's three parts right? God's presence is in a little box area called the Holy of Holies, and no one could go in except the priest once a year and never without blood, right? All those tabernacles. But God said, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, right? And here's here's what happened. David decides to bring the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that David put up a big tent, and he took the ark and he put it in the tent, and there were no dividers. Everybody could come in and come right into the presence of God. And then David got like 3,000 priests, and he divided them into groups, and he said, now you guys are going to be in here 24 hours a day, right, in shifts. And he said, and you are going to praise God, and you are going to lift your hands, and you're going to clap, and you're going to dance, and you're going to twirl around 24 hours a day in God's presence. Now, out of all the tabernacles, the only one God says he's rebuilding is that one. Where everybody, anybody could come right into his presence and worship him. I think that's awesome. It's awesome. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, or I beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, and consecrated and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent, service and spiritual worship, spiritual worship. Now, Jesus said that God is looking for worshipers and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth, right? So notice a couple of things about this. He says, first of all, that you're to take your body and all of its members and present them to God, surrender them to God. As a living sacrifice. Now, the way you're supposed to do a sacrifice, by the way, you build the altar, then you kill the animal, when it's dead, you put it on the altar, and then you burn it, all right? But the Bible says, listen, listen, that worship is that you take your body, well, it's alive, and you put it on the altar, right? And you dedicate every part of your being to God while it's alive. So the fire gets underneath, and what is your body going to do? Ah, I don't want to be here. I want to do something else. All right? So, so what it's saying is worship is surrender. Worship is dedicating yourself to God. That's what true worship is. Now, it can be expressed in music, with music. But to think that the only thing that is worship is when you lift your hands in a song and there's music is wrong, It's your spiritual worship when you dedicate yourself to God, when you present yourself to God, when you surrender to God. Worship is surrendered to God, your body, your time, your goals, your plans, your ambition, your money, when you surrender to God and do what God has called you to do, that is what worship is. You know, I don't know how many times you've heard me say it, Right, right now, we're going to worship sowing a seed into the kingdom of God. It's surrender. It's surrender. When we surrender something to God, that is worship. We cannot truly prosper when we take for ourselves what is meant for God. In fact, it's kind of like unworship. It's the exact opposite of worship, right? By the way, that's what Lucifer did, got him kicked out of heaven, right? And we're to worship God with every part of our being, spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, may the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to grab this, all right? When you receive Jesus and become a Christian, your spirit gets saved, all right? Your body does not get saved. Your body is crazy, all right? Your body is a heathen body. You say, but I pray and read my Bible. Your spirit does inside a heathen body right? And because you're a Christian, does not make your body saved. Your body is not saved. Your body is a heathen body, right? And I don't care if we're talking about Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, right? Your body did not get saved, right? Your spirit got saved. And your spirit is supposed to take control and dominion over your body as an act of worship, as an act of worship, right? It's surrender to God. And by the way, that third part of you, your soul or your mind, well, the next verse talks about that. And it says you need to be transformed by changing the way that you think or renewing your mind, right? You get your mind full of God's Word. You get your mind where you're agreeing with God's Word, right? You know, if if your mind is set on the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the Bible says there'll be life and peace, But if your mind is being controlled and dominated by the things of this world, it says it brings death. It brings death. So so there's this battle, and really the battle is in your mind. Luke 10, verse 27. So he answered and said, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. What's that, that first commandment? The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. The first one is to love the Lord with your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, every bit of your being, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Right? Now, again, w- music touches our soul. It moves our soul. Right? And this, this, well, when David played his harp, the Bible said that there was an evil spirit oppressing Saul. But when David would come and worship the Lord with his musical instrument, it said that that evil spirit would depart from Saul. In Second Kings chapter 4, it says three kings come to Elisha. They're, they're out in a desert with their armies and they're trying to invade the nation of Edom. And they've run out of water. In fact, one of the kings said, hey, we're all going to die here. And Elijah says, the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now, when the musician began to play, when there was worship in Worshiping with an instrument, the Spirit of God just came into that atmosphere. Now, one of the reasons uh, that we use music is because it opens our hearts. It opens our heart. It moves. It moves our soul and opens our hearts to God. How many of you have had it in worship at some point? You know, you're worshiping God and all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I have made such a mess of things. God, I just, I just surrender to you. I turn to you, God. And and you just laid, how many of you ever had that? No? Yeah, the rest of you, you you need to come more often. (laughs) And and you need to to open up. uh, Open up. Because you see, Jesus said when you worship, you need to worship in spirit and truth. And when your spirit touches the spirit of God in worship like that, uh, you change. You change. You become like the one that you worship. And really what worship is, is it's ascribing worth to God. And in the Hebrew word that is translated worship over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's the word that's used to talk about a bondservant. Now, if if you had someone in Basically what would happen is you would get an indentured servant. A person needed money, they would become your employee for six years. But at the end of that period of time, if they wanted to stay your servant, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that you would take them out and you would take them up against a post. And you would take a nail and you would drive it through their earlobe, right? And he said, and after that, it said they would be yours all their life. And you shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you to do this thing today, that if it happened and you say, I will not go away from you, because he loves you in your house, since he prospers with you, that you shall take that nail and thrust it through the ear his ear at the door, and he shall be your servant forever. And also, your female servant, you shall do the same thing. You become a bond servant. If you've decided, I just love that you so much, I don't want to leave. I surrender everything. This is what Paul said: Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Timothy, bond servant of Jesus Christ. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, a bond servant an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. When we look at our Bible, what we find is that people worshiped by totally surrendering themselves to God. They said, I'm giving you every single part of my being. I'm giving all to you, right? All we do for him out of love really is worship. And by the way, Jesus came for the church, because he loves you, but you and I, we should come to church because we love him and we want to worship him. And, and your whining will never result in blessings. You, you, you don't whine and receive from God. I don't know about your house, but we had this rule at my house, all right? Gina, we had the rule. if kid, Whatever kids whined about, they didn't get. How many have been in the store, and seen a little kid throw a fit because they wanted something and then got it. All right, we had a rule, all right? You whine, you throw a fit, you don't get anything. All right? And really, that's true with God, all right? He doesn't respond to whining. He responds to faith. He responds to worship, right? Uh, By the way, if you're not comfortable worshiping, you, you might have trouble in heaven because we're gonna do a lot of it up there. There's gonna be a whole lot of it. Right? The, the 24 elders, they're throwing down their crowns and falling down before him and worshiping him, right? And we find this all through the Bible. And there's so many different ways that the Bible shows us that we can worship that are connected to music. But remember, true worship is surrender. True worship is surrender. And it's surrender when we surrender any area of our life right? But the Bible says that we can sing, we can shout, we can play instruments, we can lift our hands, we can dance. In fact, God's into music. He gave you a musical instrument in your body. You realize that? Your voice is a musical instrument. Well, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. You know, that's what what God really, really wants. He wants intimate fellowship. He doesn't want us on the outer courts. But he wants us right there in his presence, face to face. And what communion is, is it is a covenant meal. You know, when a couple gets married, nowadays we just share cake. All right, you know, they split a piece of cake. But when people entered into a covenant relationship, they would always sit down and share food together. What God is doing in communion is he's showing how much he loved us. He's showing how much he gave in order to come into relationship with us. Yeah, who would want to be in a, you know, marriage is a covenant relationship. Who'd want to be in a covenant relationship where there's no intimacy? You wouldn't want a covenant relationship where there's no intimacy, where that person doesn't bear their heart with you. And God, he is the same way, right? Communion is Jesus' invitation to share the experience of love and life with him. That's really what communion is. He's showing us, hey, here's what I did because I love you. Communion means that we're joined together. Communion means that we receive his love and the benefits of his death, burial, resurrection, his blood.